0: Hi everyone, I'm Tara Mont, and you're listening to the Trust and Thrive with Tara Mont podcast. I created this podcast along with my blog and brand to hopefully inspire others to live their most authentic life. I truly believe that we all have the power to live a life we love and to do so, it's so important to be in tune with ourselves and be open to growing and evolving. I believe that once we can trust ourselves and our vision, that's when we can thrive. So with this podcast, I plan to discuss all things to do with self-reflection, personal growth, mindsets, and self-belief, all aspects that affect us in our everyday life. If you feel connected to my message and want to listen more often, I will be sharing one podcast a week, so make sure to subscribe and stay tuned. Hello everyone, welcome back to this week's episode of the show. I so appreciate you being here. There is a lot to touch on. It's obviously been such an overwhelming time with everything going on, um, especially now. I know you've heard about George Floyd's death, brutal death, Brianna Taylor's as well, Ahmaud Arbery, Trayvon Martin, all these names you've heard before. Black lives being lost senselessly, and we want change. And there's so much to touch on. A lot of realizations I've been having, and I participated in amplify melanated voices. Even just with this episode, I feel like I'm more nervous to touch on this topic because I might say something wrong, or I might say something offensive, or I may not come off it may not come off the right way. And that's just me learning. You know, I'm going to go into the specific terms and what i've been learning and reading but i guess i want to start mentioning that i am not here to speak for speak for anyone else i'm not a black man or woman who can speak to their own experiences so this is not like an educational understand black lives matter from a black person's perspective that's not this episode i will definitely definitely have um guests on the show to speak for that and to share their stories and to share this experience from their perspective. But for now, I wanted to start off just sharing what I'm reflecting on. This whole show is about self-awareness, about self-reflection, and I've been doing a lot of that. And I think without that reflection and that awareness and that accountability there's no way change can occur without us first even recognizing that oh I do have internalized racism oh I'm a part of this problem and I grew up privileged I grew up in a racist system and I'm going to go into so much more but I just wanted to clarify that this is not me trying to speak for any black man or woman or person of color going through this experience in any way this is From a white person's perspective, what I am learning and what I'm trying to do to be better and to actively be anti-racist and to take accountability and to help in ways I can and to notice the system that has benefited me and other white individuals and how by voting, by petitioning, by reaching out to public officials, how to better our system so that people of color don't have to struggle in that same way. There's so much there's so much to unpack, but I just wanted to mention that first and that I will be having a lot of guests in the future to touch on this topic. And so as you noticed, I didn't post an episode last Thursday because of course I'm, you know, try to be very consistent with my episodes and it wasn't due to the reason of not having an episode or anything. It was I because I did have specific episodes lined up, but it's also important not to be tone deaf and to acknowledge acknowledge what's really happening right now the change that is hopefully going to occur and I didn't want to come on here and start talking like right away right after everything was going on I did a lot of reading a lot of research and you know you don't always see think that's the problem we think oh if you're not posting all the books you're reading and all the research you're doing you're not doing it and yes it's great to great to share that and I you know obviously want to share what I'm learning as well share like the books that have been helpful and I know it was time for me to really look within and to do that research and not to just be like, oh, I know I'm not racist. Oh, I know I'm a good person, etc. All these false beliefs we may have grown up with that actually have played a part in hurting black men and women. So this week, I read Wife Fragility by Robin D'Angelo, And that is such a great book. I know that comes from a white person's perspective so I obviously am trying to read more from black voices but as a white woman it was important to hear also how another white woman has learned to be anti-racist and has learned to acknowledge the internalized racism and notice this system that you know I can say a broken system and i said that but after even researching and seeing people share their thoughts i realized it's true it's not necessarily a broken system it's a system that was created this way to benefit white people to benefit the people that others thought were superior which is so ridiculous and i've been so ignorant on so much of this and i feel guilty i'm feeling that guilt and that shame and it's it's not about me at all you know i'm not trying to like express that I feel bad comfort me in any way in any way but you know I'm just expressing my thoughts that I've been going through and realizing that you know it's also valid for me in my own life to acknowledge the guilt and the shame and the pain I feel for black individuals who've experienced this but that in no way comes close to what they've had to deal with for the past 400 plus years like I said this isn't me trying to preach knowledge or anything this is once again my perspective as a white woman realizing a lot, noticing a lot, and doing a lot of self-reflection and trying to take accountability. So I want to share actually a lot of terms and quotes and what I've learned from the book Why Fragility. And right now I'm actually reading, um, so I finished Why Fragility. I'm now reading How to Be an Anti-Racist. I'm loving that one too. I'm only like a third of the way in. But it's great to hear it from a Black man's perspective and even just him sharing his stories growing up, the subtle and the very obvious huge ways he's been affected by racism. For me, a huge thing I never even realized was so wrong and I think I had always thought about had, you know, Black men and women on the show. I always want to keep the show diversified. I intentionally try to think about how I can get different perspectives on the show and I... I know this sounds weird, but like sometimes if I have white men just talking about business or white women just talking about therapy, it feels off. And I don't like that because it limits, of course, like a white man's perspective in business is going to be so different or a white woman's perspective in business or therapy or whatever it is. It's going to be so different than like a black man or woman's perspective or experience. So I try to keep it diversified but I definitely have not done as well as I'd like to and that I should and you know that's obviously on me but it's something I think about and I try to do often and I never want to just be like that show that only talks to white women the whole time or white men and you know I'm obviously not insulting anyone and I'm so thankful for every perspective but it's important it's important for people to see themselves and their stories represented and the truth is the privilege in a lot of these white stories you hear, like of course, a white woman who grew up in a really nice neighborhood is going to have better experiences in business or in her life. You know, I feel that guilt because a big part of me wanted to ask about their experiences specifically as a black man or woman. You know, one thing for me, which is so ridiculous and I'm just going to be fully honest in this episode because I'm learning and I'm not perfect and that's the point. I can't like make it about me and I'm sharing how I've messed up, how I you know, how I just didn't even know or recognize certain certain things that were wrong. So for example, I would avoid maybe some questions that I wanted to ask because I didn't want to offend them, thinking that like, oh, is it wrong to ask about their experience like as a black man or woman? Is that going to insult them? Is that going to point out race the fact that's going to point out race is that wrong like it's going to be uncomfortable they may correct me what do I say how do I say it I don't want to be uncomfortable and it's not like necessarily I thought oh I want to avoid and be I don't want to talk about it because I did want to and I always believe it's important to ask people their perspectives but I think I just thought like oh maybe I shouldn't I didn't even know and that was me being comfortable that was me just staying comfortable just saying, oh, how are your experiences as a man? Like just ignoring it completely. And I thought, so this is going to go into like the whole idea of colorblindness. I thought thinking like, well, I don't see color. Everyone's the same to me. I'm not going to acknowledge it because I actually acknowledging it is bad. And if anything, I'm saying these are my thoughts before. I thought acknowledging it is bad. And if anything, I'm, I don't believe I'm a racist person at all. I have good intentions. So there's no point in insulting or hurting anyone's feelings or making it awkward and that was me you know I recognize it now that was me being colorblind and that was actually more harmful doing that is so much more harmful because when someone says I don't see color or everyone's the same to me um you know I used to say like everyone's the same to me everyone's equal I don't know why there's so much hate just love each other it was very ignorant and it was actually playing part in our racist society. It was playing part in these racist ideas of, you know, I don't see color white. You know, everyone's the same. How often do you hear like a joke or a story where someone's saying, oh, there there was a man, he was a white man who did this, blah, blah, blah. But you always hear people say, oh, there was a man, he was black. It's so crazy to me because if you don't point out They were black, they were brown, they were a race that's not white. You know, if if someone doesn't point out a race that's not white, then you just assume they're white. When you grow up and this is the standard and this is normal to you, you really question like, oh, why is it the standard? And like I said, I'm going to be very honest in this episode because a big part of being able to be anti-racist is to notice and to acknowledge the ways I've played a part in the system. And so I'm being very honest with myself, because I know that you grew up into the system. And if anything, it's more wrong to not acknowledge it, and to act like everything's fine, than to acknowledge it and be able to make change. Once you acknowledge it, and you put a word to it and say, oh, this is racism. Now I can be anti racist, then you can create change. But if you say I've never been racist. Uh, No, no, I, I see everyone the same. Everyone's good. That's ignorance. That's playing part in the racist system this whole idea of thinking oh I didn't grow up in a racist household or I can be I'm not racist and how to be an anti-racist Ibram he says that you're either racist or you're anti-racist there's no in between you can't be not racist. You have to be anti-racist because the system we're in is racist. It's a systemic problem. We can't just say I'm not racist. We have to make change. We have to be a part of it and we have to we have to do whatever we can to change the system and obviously change our thoughts and be accountable. Because we grew up with these thoughts and we grew up even with very subtle biases and we grew up with these judgments, we can't just think oh I'm not racist and think it's so easy. We have to We have to practice accountability and constant self-awareness. We have to constantly be self-aware and practice accountability, own up to our mistakes, be okay with being uncomfortable. And that's my problem. I just sat there and thought, I'd rather not ask this question about their experiences as a black man or woman than ask this question and maybe get it wrong and have them correct me and maybe feel like I'm a bad person. When in reality, no, it's worse of me to just ignore it. Because I was uncomfortable. So to quote Robin in White Fragility, she says, A racism-free upbringing is not possible. Because racism is a social system embedded in the culture and its institutions. We are born into the system and have no say in whether we will be affected by it. She also mentions, White is a false identity. An identity of false superiority. In that sense, whiteness isn't real. So it's like, when I read this, I think, okay, this is obvious, but it's so easy to ignore. Of course, it's all false identity, but we played part in the system by ignoring the fact, by letting black men and women suffer for so long because we didn't want to have these conversations, because we didn't want to create change, because we didn't want to change the system, because we thought we were safer in these neighborhoods and these schools. We didn't want to take away funds for us. It's a lot to take in feel so deeply for black men and women and I hate that it's taken so long I've always been an empathic person and I've always cared for others you know it's not like I would see these other videos and be okay with it but I could live in my bubble I could know this was happening all the time and happening um, at times when it wasn't recorded or in neighborhoods and just think wow this is really wrong and upsetting but not do anything about it and thinking that I couldn't do anything about it so the first step is me noticing like Robin D'Angelo mentioned that it's impossible to be racist-free because racism is a social system. It's not like you can avoid racism. It's there. The system we live in, the fact that there are so many neighborhoods, the fact that we associate certain people or like, oh, black people are violent or there's more crime or this and that when we don't think about the kind of environment they grew up in. Not because they're black, but because of the horrible system we've created to give more money to white individuals. Think of the ancestors of black individuals who, you know, came from slavery, from, came from nothing. And we expect them to have the same amount of money as white people who passed down generations of their wealth. It's not just about, oh, where are they now? It's about the system that we've created for all these years. There were mortgages and loans on black people during slavery it's insane. And so for people to think, oh, it's just a bad neighborhood. Oh, look at all the crime and drugs. And no, are you kidding me? I'm a white cis woman who, you know, I grew up in middle class family. We weren't like crazy well off, but compared to most people, we were. We lived in a house in maybe a neighborhood that wasn't surrounded by a lot of white people. And I used to think I live in a bad neighborhood. I don't, my friends live in nicer neighborhoods. And I I would think, oh, it's safer. And I wouldn't say, oh, it's because there are more white people, but I would see that. I feel horrible thinking that. Now, when I look back, that I would judge people for the situation they're in, thinking it's all their fault and thinking that, oh, it's just, you know, that's just how it is and not necessarily the fact that we don't help them in the same way. We don't have opportunities you don't put as much money into these schools in these neighborhoods amount of people who live in these white suburban neighborhoods have had generations of wealth passed down or you know their grandfather got a veteran's loan whatever it is they've had those opportunities and it's because of the system the system we live in like prison reform for example the amount of black individuals who've been incarcerated compared to white individuals and many who are innocent I i don't know everything about this and I'm still learning and this is not, you know, complete facts. It's not perfect, but I'm just sharing this like huge realization that could be so obvious. And you may think, listen to this and think, of course, how could you not have noticed that? It's because I've played a part in the system. I was colorblind. I used to think, oh, like I'm not racist. I love everyone. I've never, I. I would. I would point out when people would be make racist comments, but I would not acknowledge as much the privilege I have for simply being a white woman. How I could get away, how I could easily walk by in any store and they would never question, question me. And someone else, it could be a black man or woman who, you know, is the same way, they're just leaving and they could be stopped just for the way they look, for looking suspicious because of the color of their skin. For me to say, I see everyone the same, can't we all just love each other? I notice now was insanely ignorant and I'm disappointed in that. And it's okay. I'm having a lot of feelings of guilt and shame and disappointment, but it's what I grew up around. It's what I grew up believing. I went to a private school. My parents worked really hard. You know, they weren't super well off, but they worked really hard to send my brother and myself to a private school. And most of the population was white and probably to think, Oh, they'll like do better off there. It's safer. I'm not saying they said that, but like the implications that, that you hear often, like say for example, even in movies and shows and in real life, how often have you heard others say, oh, I don't want them to get involved with the wrong people, or I don't want them to be around a bad influence. How often do you see those characters represented by like white men or white women? It's usually a black or brown man or woman who is the bad influence. And that alone, you know, that's just another example of media representation and how so many people of color are represented in such in such limited ways and how that just reinstates this whole idea we think we have of white people being the superior. It's, oh my gosh, I just think about it and it frustrates me so much. And obviously, if you've these videos, you can't not feel pain. I haven't been able to focus on anything else. It, I think this is something that We can feel so bad about not maybe recognizing before, even when it was yelled out, even when Colin Kaepernick went on his knee and was pointing out this issue and we thought, okay, we didn't look into it in the same way. Even though we can be upset that for so long we didn't acknowledge this and work so hard to learn more and educate ourselves and do better, I still have hope that right now there's so much we can do. There's so much we can do, there's so much we can change. And so I think a big part, you know, obviously there's so much that needs to be changed in our system. There's so much that needs to be changed in our schooling and then in prison reform and police brutality for sure. Um, but I specifically want to talk about the inner work you can do and how what you can do in your own life to start there. Other than the obvious, you know, changing the system, voting, signing petitions, showing up, emailing, sending letters, calling your public officials to do that work. I want to discuss internalized racism and recognizing your privilege. You know, you may be listening to this as a black man or woman, a person of color, you may not be white. And I think either way, hopefully this is something that you can reflect on as well. um, I, I've just noticed a lot with everything going on that people are expecting black men and women on Instagram, especially and online to teach them, teach me your ways, how can I be better and making it about yourself. So if you're a white woman or man, and you're doing that, I think there's a way to do it because I reached out to people definitely before this and now to come on the show. And especially now, you know, I want people of color to come and share their experiences and anyone who's an expert in their field to share that. But it's the work that we need to do. We need to go read these books. There's so much out there on anti-racism. Not being not racist and being complacent because that's not going to change anything. We have to be anti-racist. And so I'm, you know, I read those books. I'm listening to um 1619 right now, the podcast. Which I'm learning a lot about the history of slavery. It's crazy because you think, oh, that was the past. It's over. But the ways that that plays part now, like the history comes with us. Emmett Till, who's a 14 year old boy in Mississippi, a black boy who was murdered so brutally because he was accused of flirting with a white woman, flirting with a white woman. And apparently she was lying, too. He was lynched for that. And all these stories that we think, oh, you know, that's the past. And this was in 1955. 1955 and we think oh we we've grown from that that's over the same thing is happening now example if I as a white woman cry out that that black man is hurting me or I'm scared it plays a part in that story the same way that woman in Central Park was crying out about an African-American man threatening her life she was playing into that story into that story of superiority and of of white women needing to be saved that a black man is going to hurt you just frustrates me and then she says I'm not racist are you kidding me are you kidding me yeah she may be scared people are defending that yeah she may be scared but that's because she's racist the fact that she called the cops and she said an african-american man is threatening my life would she call and say a white man is threatening my life no she wouldn't even say white man if it was someone else she'd just say a man is threatening my life the fact that she points that out as if that's going to be more of a reason to come after them more of a reason for her fear to be valid is disgusting and i hope she's doing that work oh i hope we all do that work because i'm not going to lie the amount of times maybe i've crossed the street or i've avoided someone who would look a certain way from fear yes i've i've avoided white men i've avoided but a lot of times i've avoided people of color who look like a threat or maybe they were wearing a hood or i worried for my life like subtly and it's ridiculous and even if even if they weren't doing anything just because of the way they looked and i never thought oh that's racist i never thought oh that's internalized racism or that's racism right there i just thought oh well you know i'm scared better to be safe or it's what i've learned Ugh, i just oh man i feel so bad about that and That's just, it's insane because that's something I want to acknowledge and a big part of being anti-racist is taking those steps to, to recognize that. And of course, it's not me saying, oh, no one's a threat. Ignore that. Yes, there will be black men and women who are a threat. There, There will be people of color who are threats. There will be white men and women who are threats. They will maybe be threats or someone you need to avoid because they did something to make you believe that because they're actually threatening you or harming you, not because Of the way they look when they haven't done anything. You know what I mean? It's not like, oh, they're a threat because of this. Because they look this way. Because they look like someone who would. And so that's a big, you know, that's something I'm going to always keep in mind. I realized a big part of being anti-racist is really being accountable in every single moment. We're never going to be perfect. I'm going to, you know, be open and take criticism. And if I say something insulting or wrong, I want to know. I want to know and I want to do better. And so I want to talk about, obviously, this idea of white fragility. So white fragility is discomfort and defensiveness on the part of a white person when confronted by information about racial inequality and injustice. So say, for example, a friend comes up to you and says, hey, so that was kind of racist what you said. Or just so you know, like, this was something that hurt my feelings. It's easy to get defensive and think, oh, I'm not I'm not racist You make all these claims that are like, well, I know I'm not racist. I know people of color. My friend's black. (laughs) My dentist is black. Oh, I'm nice to black people. What are you talking about? You, you, You misunderstood what I said. I didn't mean it that way. Take a joke. Ugh, I've heard that so many times in my life, like in general. Gaslighting, it's making people feel crazy for pointing out something that may have sounded racist or been wrong. And so a big part of white fragility is the fact that many white people get very defensive and I have to, I'm not saying, oh, I'm perfect. And like, I'm super accountable. I have to, for the reason that like, I felt guilty and embarrassed. And I thought, well, I thought I'm a good person. This whole idea that like, we think if you're a nice person, you can't be racist. Racist people are only bad and they're only intentional about it. And they're the super extreme white supremacist groups who try to hurt people of color. Instead of thinking, oh, you can have good intentions, but still be racist. And in the book, she shares the theory, aversive racism, which was proposed by Samuel Gartner and John Davidio. It's this whole theory, aversive racism, which is that negative evaluations of racial ethnic minorities are realized by persistent avoidance of an interaction with other racial and ethnic groups. So compared to racism that you notice, for example, it's not like a strong hate or intentional it's usually people who are well-intentioned and who think that they're actually good people and you know they mean well but they their actions and what they do for example like me going to a white private school maybe because it's we thought it was safer and better education and yes there are facts about that but that's because of the system um that's because of how it was placed we're not putting money into their schools in the same way we're not putting the same effort that's a whole different other conversation but um going back to that it's aversive racism doesn't challenge racial filters and if anything it plays part in racism because we think oh well no 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 i'm not racist no 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 i you know i'm good i mean well that protects racism that doesn't challenge it and what we need to do is challenge it we can't sit here and think i'm good i'm not racist and we have to be accountable the whole idea of right fragility is so fascinating because we think, as white people, we have the right to say, no, I'm not racist. No, I didn't mean it that way. As if our opinion or the what we meant to say is all that matters. Why do we take it so personally? Why do we get so upset at the whole idea of thinking we may have a racist thought? We may all have internalized racism, which is the truth. It's the system we were put into, that we grew up in. If anything, I think I'm a good person and I mean well, but I was grown up into the system and that is racist and that in my little bubble i didn't notice i have to listen to people of color when they tell me about their experiences or they tell me that this this is insulting or that this is wrong so i need to self-reflect and so i want to read the functions of white fragility that robin d'angelo mentioned the functions are to maintain white solidarity which i will explain in a minute to close off self-reflection, trivialize the reality of racism, silence the discussion, make white people the victims, hijack the conversation, protect a limited worldview, take race off the table, protect white privilege, focus on the messenger, not the message, and rally more resources to white people. It's actually so interesting to see now that so many people maybe I followed or that Or big names, like even on Instagram, for example, like white therapists or influencers and how they're getting so defensive when people call them out, so defensive. And of course, I have my moments like internally because I feel that guilt. But if someone were to come to me and say, this was wrong, or you can do better, or, you know, whatever it is, this is a racist comment, I would maybe feel really bad about it at first, of course, because I don't, it's not my intention but I would own up to it and I would try to be better and I would apologize and I would listen and I would, it's not one thing to post a black box that everyone's do that everyone did for Blackout Tuesday and say, and say that's enough and put a hashtag. The amount of people that have done that and the next day they're posting workout videos or selfies, they think that's enough. They're a part of the problem. We're all a part of the problem. I'm not trying to call anyone out, but we have to do that work before in the past, you know, I'd, we'd post something, I'd feel really bad. And I thought there's nothing I can do. Like, I'm not racist. I don't know what to do. Like I feel for people and I'll listen to them, but you know, you move on with your lives, but we have to change. Robin mentions that a lot of people of color don't even, you know, they're shut down. Their voices are shut down because it makes us white people uncomfortable. And to quote her, it's the pressure to collude with white fragility by minimizing their racial experiences to accommodate white denial and defensiveness. In other words, they don't share their pain with us because we can't handle it. We're such babies. Like, <laughs> I'm sorry, but we're such babies if we can't handle the fact that we've been doing things wrong, that we've been causing so much pain. We just want to go on with our lives, the NFL, have sports, have things go on and just care about the flag. I'm sorry but screw a flag if people's lives are being lost. It doesn't mean that we don't appreciate people who fought for our country in any way. It's the fact that so many people are you know don't ever disrespect the flag. It's a freaking flag. When does a black person having a knee on their neck you don't care? You care more about a stupid flag? Oh my gosh. I'm trying not to cuss, like I totally could, but I'm trying to keep this (laughs) a non explicit episode for listeners. But I just, oh, we have to do better. We have to be accountable. When your black friend comes up to you and says, even your white friend, and says, hey, you know, that doesn't sit well with me. I think that was kind of like a racist comment, just something to reflect on. Don't make it about you. Don't say, I mean, you don't know me. I'm not racist. That's not what I meant. Get over it. It's a joke. Do better. Just do better. Own up to it. Reflect on it. If someone's calling you out for it, it's likely, there's likely a reason for it. And so you have to listen to people. You have to trust. We have to stop thinking the white race is so superior because we have created a system based on that idea and it's it's the reality of what's going on that so many people believe that. But we need to break that thought. We need to break, in order to vote on policies that help people of color, in order to really, create a better society we have to break this whole stupid idea that white is a standard and that we're better and that for so long that's been the reality how are we going to change that how are we going to do better and it's not an easy answer i'm not over here saying no everyone's equal just love each other there's so much to do and i'm overwhelmed by the thoughts of that but we have to start with that thought and so another idea is white solidarity maybe not speaking up when someone's being racist, or maybe not calling out someone for that joke that is racist or insulting. An example of that is going along with the racist joke because it's funny. Or you're, maybe you're seeking to avoid that conflict because you want to be liked, you don't want to be the one who's overly sensitive, or can't take a joke, or you just want to be a part of the group. But that's being a part of the problem. So how are you going to call out your family members, your loved ones, how, how are you going to call people out? How are you going to create change within your inner circle? How are you going to choose schools, choose communities to be a part of that are not just white people? How are you going to expand your horizon? How are you going to listen? By not saying anything and thinking, oh, I'm not a part of the problem, it gives you that freedom from responsibility because you're not affected by it. You let yourself say, I haven't been racist. And by doing that, you are a part of the problem. You can't just ignore it. You're either anti-racist or racist. There's no, I'm not racist. I'm not a part of the problem. I don't have to say anything. We have to speak up. And that doesn't always necessarily mean posting on social media all the time at all. What are you doing behind the scenes? What are you doing offline? Because there are a lot of people who will post on social media and say, we need change. And they'll share the posts and they'll do that for the week or the day or the blackout Tuesday. And then when it really comes down to it, as life goes on and in their inner circles, they won't call out that person for being racist. They'll continue making a racist joke because it's just a joke. They'll continue crossing the street and avoiding that black man or woman. They'll continue to assume that these neighborhoods are just, you know, ghetto or... Bad and all these horrible, horrible words and ideas we think associates with the color of one's skin when it really has to do with the opportunities they've been given and how we have really neglected people of color in this country and in the world. So what are your internalized assumptions of racial superiority? What are your internalized racist thoughts you may have? And one more quote I find important that as white people we need to recognize is is from How to Be an Anti-Racist. And and Ibram says, Some white people do not identify as white for the same reason they identify as non-racist, to avoid reckoning with the ways that whiteness, even as a construction and mirage, has informed their notions of America and identify and offered them privilege, the primary one being the privilege of being inherently normal, standard, and legal. So what are we going to do about that? Black men and women experience 246 years of brutal enslavement. They deal with mass incarceration. They deal with their schools not being funded in the same way. And we have the right to think that we're just better people. And I'm not saying that's how I personally think this and that, but internally, I guess I thought that. And I'm acknowledging it. We grew up thinking that white people are superior not intentionally it's not like i'm like oh way people are better i always thought oh people are equal i don't see color everyone's the same to me and i i truly believe that i believe everyone is human and deserves the same rights but when it comes down to it the opportunities i've taken this, even just the you know no i'm not going to cross the street when i see a white woman or man maybe unless they look threatening <laughs> but even then it's all these these judgments that are so off and really detrimental and i'm so sorry that we did not listen sooner if you're a black man or woman listening to this i'm so sorry we've neglected you i'm so sorry you've dealt with all of this i'm so sorry you're in pain i'm so sorry you have to be worried for your life we are going to do better i'm going to do better in my own life and i hope you will step up as a white man or woman if you're listening to this or a person of color i hope we can step up together and do better And don't just say it. Don't just go and reach out to people. You know, I actually want to read this. I think it's really important. A lot of people are saying black lives matter and then they go on with their lives. They don't do the work. They don't care. They just want to look good. And so part of that has to do with white fragility. A lot of people say black lives matter, but when they're called out and when they're asked to do better and to really reflect, they think they're fine. They think, you know, they get defensive or they think they're not a part of the problem not just doing it for this week or this day or not just posting about it and then not actually doing any of the work. Take the risks. I didn't take the risks in past episodes when I could have. I could have had these conversations. I could have taken the risk and asked about experiences of my black guests, but I avoided it because I thought I would get it wrong. I avoided it because I thought I would actually do more harm by bringing up race, that it was wrong. It's like going back to this example from the book that says, if a little kid were to point out, oh, mom, that's a black man in the store, for example, she would probably yell at him. But if he said, oh, mom, it's a white man, she would probably laugh or it wouldn't be as big of a deal. Because we think to point out race is so wrong, to point out race is is so taboo, and that's playing part in our white privilege and ignorance of just living in our bubble and thinking, White is the standard. Don't point out anything else. Why? Because you're acknowledging that that is a black man. Why would we act like, oh, there's something wrong with that? Or we imply that there's a negative connotation to being a black man when no, it's just who you are in the same way of saying, oh, I'm a white man. What's so wrong with that? And I played part in that and I'm owning up to that. I have to do better. I'm going to do better. So another quote I think is important is that racism hurts, even kills people of color 24 7 interrupting it is more important than my feelings, ego, or self image. I know I've maybe triggered white individuals who follow me with with some of my posts or that people won't follow me and I don't care. I don't care. People are dying, people are in pain. You know, I'm going through this whole feeling of guilt and just being so mad at myself for now recognizing my privilege to this extreme. Like I knew I was privileged, but to this extreme, I'm going to keep acknowledging it. I'm going to keep doing better and being accountable. I'm going to call out people. I'm going to keep educating myself because this doesn't end here. I'm going to do what I can to help to be better, to vote in ways that benefit people of color and not just white people. I'm going to reflect on that when I have kids. I'm going to have conversations on racism with my kids when I do have them. I'm going to do better. I'm going to surround myself with people. I'm going to listen to people of color. There's so much to do. And I'm so committed to being anti-racist to really do the work and to help people of color have better lives. You know, it's not that simple. I'm not trying to be like ignorant and overly positive because I know there's so much work to do and I know there's so much pain that people of color experience on a daily basis, but it starts with you. It starts with you as an individual. How are you going to educate yourself and do better? You think, oh no, I'm fine. I don't need to do the work. No. what thoughts and internalized racism are you going to pass down to your kids if you don't reflect if you don't do that reflection now you don't make those mistakes and learn how are the next generations going to do better if you don't educate yourself how can you vote on policies that are going to benefit people of color instead you're just going to focus on yourself and it will continue on to be a messed up system i'm committed to that i'm very very passionate about it i'm so sorry to my friends and loved ones and listeners Of color the black men and women who for so long I thought you know just being nice was enough just being nice and being good to other human beings was enough and it wasn't we're gonna do better I'm here for you I will never understand what you're going through as a black man or woman I will never ever ever understand but I am committed to doing better to educating myself to owning up to it to being accountable to not making it about me call me out, please. If any, I may have made so many mistakes in this episode. I may have said the wrong thing. Please call me out. So let's do better together. If you have any suggestions for books, for podcasts, for um, movies, anything to listen to or consume that can help with this whole idea of being anti-racist, please let me know. I've already I have so many books I'm excited to read. Right now, I'm still reading How to Be an Anti-Racist, but I want to read uh, The New Jim Crow after that. So that should be a great one. Overall, stay safe. You know, if you can't protest, it's okay. There's so many other ways to help. And I'm going to be sharing resources on my Instagram, trying to find as many as I can. Um, I am not personally protesting in person. And I, you know, I was feeling really bad about that. I live with my grandpa who's very old and he would be very affected by COVID and with older parents. So I'm just... Have to be careful with that right now. Just be safe and know that there are other forms of being anti-racist and doing your part and really just being better. So right now, I'm thinking of Brianna Taylor because it was just her birthday and her killers are still out there. They have not been taken into custody or charged. It's so disgusting to think that. And so, please sign her petition. I will make sure to include that. I don't know what's going to happen by the time this episode goes up, but if that's still the case, I will include. Um, More information in the description of this episode and more ways to get involved with Black Lives Matter. And in general, if you have anything to share, please let me know. You can follow me at Tara.mont on Instagram or the Instagram for the show at Trust and Thrive. Follow more Black men and women on Instagram, online, hear what their stories and what they have to say. Notice if your feed is all white women talking about business or white men talking about fitness or whatever. Notice that and do better and expand your horizon. And at the same time, remember, it is not their job to do the work for you. Don't go asking them to give you all these resources. People of color have been grieving for so long. And they're especially grieving now with what's going on. And so learn from them, but don't expect them to do the work for you. Don't expect all this emotional labor from them because it's exhausting. And if you make a mistake, if you get called out for that, that's okay too. Learn from that. So thank you for being here. Stay safe, you know, obviously everything with COVID is still happening and there's just a lot. It's an overwhelming time. We're going to do better. To my Black listeners and friends, I hear you. I'm here for you. We're going to do better. Be anti-racist. Don't just sit on the sidelines and be complacent. Let's do better. Keep fighting. Make your voice heard. Let's make 2020 a year of change. So once again, all the links will be in the description of this episode and I will catch you all next Thrive Thursday.